Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, June the 14th, 2023. It is currently 2.20 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And I thought I would turn on the microphone. I thought I would hit the big red go live button and we would talk about what pastors cannot do from the pulpit. What are some things pastors cannot do from the pulpit? If you were to make a list of seven things, pastors, you could say, cannot do or should not do from the pulpit what would be the seven things you would you would put down seven things that pastors cannot or should not do from the pulpit what would be on your list what would be number 7 what would be number 6 what would be number 1 in your mind what would be the number one thing pastors should not or cannot do from the pulpit do you think there would be agreement on that it would be interesting I, if you took pastors, if you took, a, say, 20 pastors and you say, okay, what are seven things pastors should not or cannot do from the pulpit? And then you gave that same questionnaire or, you know, that same question to the congregation. What are things pastors cannot or should not do from the pulpit? Do you think there would be agreement between the congregation and pastors? Do you think there would be agreement? I think there would be some agreement. I, 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 I think there would be. Maybe I could be wrong, but I think there would be some agreement. I think there would possibly be some disagreement. I know that's not really, you know, wow, thank you for you know being so obvious. But I, I think there would be some disagreement. Um, but here's the question, maybe. Maybe here's the real question. Is it possible that because of tradition, because of just the template that is placed on, you know, churches, because churches kind of follow a template, they all kind of sound the same, look the same. There's, there's a, I mean, you just go to, you know, you go from church to church to church. There's just like, okay, it's almost like, you know, 
you just come to expect this is what church is supposed to do. It's just like the unspoken rule, the unspoken tradition. It's like a movie trope, right? It's just like, oh, you know, you know, oh, in this movie, this is what happens. And this is when the good guy does this and the bad guy always does this. And, you know, they're going to go down in the basement with when the lights aren't working to, and then, you know, something bad's going to happen. Like, it's just in church, there's just... This is what pastors are supposed to do. These these are the things pastors are not supposed to do. But I guess maybe here's the real question. Is it possible that people have just accepted these rules, that these are what pastors cannot do from the pulpit, these are what pastors should not do from the pulpit, but those rules actually are detrimental to the good of the congregation and the good of the pastor? Is it possible that we've just kind of accepted these unspoken rules as, no, 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 a pastor cannot do that. A pastor should not do that. But in reality, because these have just become of unspoken rules, just kind of a a tradition that we now all follow while we claim not to be following traditions. I wonder if it's possible that it actually hinders and hurts the church spiritually. It hinders and hurts the pastor, and, and it's really of no ultimate value to anyone other than following some unspoken tradition or unspoken rule. Now, the reason I'm asking these questions is because on May the 16th, 2023, May the 16th, 2023, Crosswalk.com published an article. Now, I know we're at June the 14th, so it's almost been a month, but I've saved this in my notes, kept saying, I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to talk about this, and I have just never gotten around to it, so I just happened to be sitting here in the studio, and I was looking through my notes for different things, and all of a sudden, I saw the article, I'm like, you know what? Go live now. Don't waste another second. Go live now and address this and see if we can start a a very important conversation. So what do you think pastors can or cannot do? And do you think these kind of unspoken rules about what pastors can or shouldn't do, can, cannot, shouldn't do, um, do you think in uh, in any way, shape, or form it has hurt the congregation and the pastor? All right. Okay, someone said a pastor should not lie from the pulpit and they should not curse. Uh, They should not lie or curse is what someone said. Okay, I would hope pastors would not lie from the pulpit. You would hope, but I have heard plenty of sermons where complete misinformation, conspiracies and all kinds of just wrong information has been given. I've heard that way too many times and it is always frustrating um, obviously, the cursing thing, it never really catches. There's been just small examples. You know, Mark Driscoll at one point was called the cursing pastor because I think he cursed a couple of times from the pulpit. I don't think it was a normal thing. So there's been some who've tried to push that envelope a little bit, but typically there's a massive pushback. There's massive pushback on it. So I think the lying tends to go over better than the cursing. Because, well, other people believe the same lies or the same conspiracy theories or the same misinformation. So I, I think most would agree on those. And I think I think those would probably be good ones to follow, right? I don't think those would be detrimental. But let's see what this article gives us. The name of this article is Seven Things the Pastor Cannot Do from the Pulpit. Seven Things the Pastor 
cannot do from the pulpit. Obviously, the headline is written in a very dogmatic, authoritative way as like, this cannot happen. Let's see. If, if you, if, what do you think the seven things are? What do you think the seven things are? All right, well, here we go. All right, here we go. Number one. All right, well, I'm not going to give you, I'm, I'm going to read the introduction first. I'm going to read the introduction first. I wanted to just jump right in. All right, here we go. You can't chew gum in the pulpit, smoke a cigarette, or bring your coffee in with you. You can't preach in pajamas or lead a worship service in your swimsuit. But you knew that. However, some pastors do things ever bit as silly as this and as counterproductive, we must say. So they're like, these are kind of just, you know, everyone knows you can't chew gum. You can't smoke a cigarette. You can't bring your coffee with you. You can't bring your coffee, but you can bring water. Does it really matter what's in the cup? A lot of people bring water. Pastors bring water all the time. So why can't you bring a cup of coffee? I mean, does it really matter? I don't know. I don't, I don't. If you have a can of Coke there, is that different than have a bottle of water? I, I, I don't know. You can't preach in your pajamas, okay, or lead a worship service in your swimsuit. I think most would agree with those. But they say that there, there's, however, there's some pastors that do things ever bit as silly as those things, and it's counterproductive. I do believe mo- a lot of those things would be counterproductive. I can agree. Now, in one sense, a pastor can do anything from the pulpit one time. But we're talking about things no right-thinking godly pastor should attempt to do from the Lord's sacred place of leadership in his church. So here comes, uh, okay, someone says, I've seen coffee in the pulpit. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that really matters. I have, I always have a bottle of water with me. I always have a bottle of water with me. I mean, just, I, I almost feel like if I don't have a bottle of water, because sometimes when you're speaking... You know, you'll, you'll like, and you'll, you'll like, something's going on with your throat. You need a drink of water, right? You need a drink of water. Like, or you can sit there and try to turn from the microphone going, (coughs) you know, it's easier just to take a drink of water, take a second and then continue. So, but um, I mean, if you need a cup of coffee, like, I don't know, I don't know, but I, I'm interested to see where they're going to go. All right. But here's some things that according to them, no right thinking godly pastor should attempt to do from the Lord's sacred place of leadership in his church. These are some things no godly pastor, no right-thinking godly pastor would attempt from the Lord's sacred place of leadership. Here we go. Do I start with number seven and go down or do I start with number one? Do I start down one or I'm just going to start with number one. All right, here we go. Almost want to do a countdown. Number one, according to this list, we'll act like number seven is the grand conclusion. We'll see. We'll say number seven is the dramatic conclusion. Number one is not so dramatic. Here we go. Number one, he cannot recommend a book with questionable material, nor condemn a book he has not read. Oh boy. Okay. All right. First of all, I'm in trouble because I have violated this rule a million times. I will recommend a book with questionable questionable material anytime I feel like it. 
And I make no apology. For example, way, 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 way back in the olden days, there was a little book coming out called The Da Vinci Code. I came to church and said, hey, guys, this book is coming out. Everyone needs to read it. This book, at the very beginning, lists some things that are supposedly historical facts. Some of those things deal with the Council of Nicaea. These historical facts are not accurate. This is going to be a problem, and no, everyone's going to ignore it until a movie comes out, and I guarantee you it's going to be turned into a movie. These are things that I said literally from the pulpit. I told everyone to go by. I remember uh, afterwards, someone came up to me and, and they were kind of new to the church and like, you want us to buy it? I'm like, yeah. They're like, but you're telling us it's got messed up stuff in it. I'm like, oh, oh no, what could happen? You could read them. Like, I, like, so what? I'm expecting you to read it and then we will, we will discuss it. We will talk about it. I'm not, look, I'm not worried about you reading something questionable or wrong because I believe truth always wins out. I said, well, what if they get confused? Confusion is a good thing because you work through the confusion and you come out better than you did going in. I am not in any way, shape, or form the person that says, you know, cover your ears, cover your eyes, cover your mouth, hear no evil, evil, uh, see no evil, speak no evil. I just, I cannot stand that. I don't believe in you know, hiding from things and not reading things that call into question our faith and, or that are, no, we should be able to read and process anything that offers even radically different uh, perspectives and ideologies or theologies that we disagree with. I'm always saying, look, I think this book is completely messed up. Please read it. Because I never want someone to sit there and go, okay, you're right, pastor. I'm not going to read that book. You tell me why it's bad. Why would, no, that, that makes the pastor then the authority, right? That may, and, 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 and you can say, well, the pastor is the authority. You think the pastor is authority until you disagree with the pastor, then he's no longer the authority. So as Protestants, can we stop playing the game that pastors have any authority? Because people will leave the church whenever they want. So can we stop that? All right. So either you want a magisterial authority or you don't want a magisterial authority. Okay. Well, my thing is, yeah, I believe the book is messed up, but you need to read it for yourself. So I told everyone to read the Da Vinci Code. I thought the prayer Jabez was complete and utter trash. I told everyone to read it. I can go on and on and on. The Harbinger, absolute total train wreck. The Shack, all these books that were like complete theological poison. Read it and struggle with it. And if you have problems, we will deal with it. Now, in most cases, I address the problems I thought were in it, but I always tell, why would I say, look, 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 you stay away from that and you listen to me. That to me is very cult-like mentality. Hey guys, this book is bad. No one read it. And everybody's like, okay, thank you, pastor. We won't read the bad book. Yeah, because you need to listen to me. Well, that that's like a very Catholic magisterial authority concept. No, I don't want books banned. I don't want, I want people to see and read the messed up book. Now, I do believe you got to be very uh, careful as pastors from condemning a book that you have not read. Now that I will agree with. If the pastor is going to condemn it, he probably should have read it, right? He should address it in some way, shape or form. Right. And if I'm not going to read it, I'll look for someone else to, to, uh, to read it and give some kind of feedback or record a podcast episode or something. 
I'll get someone else to usually, you know, if I can't get to it. But I mean, when you say you cannot recommend a book with questionable material, I think it, I, I think the issue is how you recommend it. Hey guys, this book is messed up. This is going to be an issue. Everyone's debating it. Everyone's arguing about it. Instead of taking everyone else's word for it, read it yourself. We did that here on the podcast with the Jesus Calling devotional, right? Get a copy. Look at it for yourself. And then I went through some of the devotionals and like, this thing is an absolute total train wreck. I mean, I, I finally gave up because I got tired of, I, you know, I didn't want to keep reading the thing because it was so bad. But we... I told people to get it. Why would I not want you to have it? I want you to see for yourself. You say, well, you are thinking that the people have enough discernment. Well, if they don't have enough discernment, why do they not have enough discernment? Because it's the job of the church to be equipping saints so they will not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You know, the best way to equip them, not be tossed to every wind of, uh, to every wind of doctrine, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, is for them to know and understand all the different doctrines, so that when they do hear it, they're not moved by it because I heard about that in church. I heard about that in church. Oh, my pastor told me, uh, told me about that book and told me to read it, and, and I read it, and the church talked about it, and yeah, no big deal. I'm not, I'm not tossed to a fro because I'm already prepared for it. So I, I will recommend a book from the pulpit no matter how messed up it is. I will tell you it's messed up. I'll tell you why I think it's messed up. And then I'll tell you to read it for yourself. And then if you have any issues, we can talk about it. Now, I do believe you got to be very careful about what you condemn if you have not read it, watched it, or listened to it. But I've seen pastors condemn music that they clearly have never listened to. They've condemned movies they've clearly never watched. And I have seen pastors condemn books that they have never actually read. So that happens all the time. All right. So I, 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 I am not in agreement with that one. All right. I'm not, I remember got, I got in trouble at my uh, last church in Bellevue, Nebraska. Um, I had lots of Mormon missionaries coming to my house all the time, all the time. I even had some Mormon missionaries come to my Sunday school class at that church in uh, uh, Bellevue, Nebraska to attend my Sunday school class. It was weird. Um, but they came and we had lots of good conversations and lots of talks. So I did a sermon on Mormonism and guess what I told everyone to do? Get a copy of the Book of Mormon and read it because my best way of being able to deal with Mormon missionaries is not in every single, well, I think in every case I've ever dealt with them, I knew the Book of Mormon better than they did. So I was equipped and ready to deal with it and talk about it. And in many cases, I used the Book of Mormon to actually argue against the doctrine that they held to, because I believe in some cases the Book of Mormon <laughs> argued against their theology better than the Bible did. So, yeah, so, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I and, and someone afterwards, like, you know, now, now, you know, you can't, you, you, what, what do you, what, what, what if someone starts reading the Book of Mormon and gets confused? And I'm like, okay, they struggle with it. They go through a period of confusion. I mean, do you believe salvation is eternal? Do you believe a person can lose their salvation? Well, if they can't lose their salvation, all they can really do is get temporarily confused, right? Are they not kept by the power of God? So if they go through a period of, of confusion, we'll work through it. Like I, that, I, I'm just, I feel strong about that. But you, you can, I know many, well, 
about 90% of people will disagree with me on that because they always get, they always go crazy when I do that. But I'm always like, okay, guys, here's this new book. It's beyond messed up. Go read it. And everybody's like, I can't, but no, I'm not going to tell you to stay away from everything unless it comes from the pastor approved list. That is just, that's cult-like. All right. Number two, ditto a movie. Some movies have much to be commended, but by their horrible language and their using Christian Christ's name as profanity, they destroy all the good. The pastor will not want to endorse such a movie, even though it has some positive aspects. Now, I have seen a lot of hypocrisy on this. I have seen pastors condemn certain movies because it has explicit language or it does this or this and this. And then they'll talk about other movies, right? And I'll be like, but doesn't that have some of the same elements, right? Um, I remember there was a big time saving, I think it was Saving Private Ryan that every pastor in the world was recommending. And I would be like, well, that's got some serious content in it too, right? So, but that movie is bad. I mean, we saw this, uh, there was a good example of this. Uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Chronicles of Narnia, good, godly, holy. Even even though we could talk about some major theological issues and it didn't matter. Lord of the Rings, I mean, come on. That came from the throne room of heaven. Harry Potter, evil, evil boy wizard, must burn book, must not let children see movie, evil. And it's like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, what? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, <laughs> Lord of Rings, they have same kind of things with magic. And like, what, what are you talking about, right? It's so just arbitrary at times. So what I have, I'm more frustrated by the inconsistency and in how it works in Christianity more than anything else. I think it's probably best in this case for a pastor, just try not to recommend any movies from the pulpit and probably not use any movies or television shows and illustrations. It's probably best, right? I know I don't always follow that rule because if I've watched something, if I've seen something, then I have a tendency when you're preaching that that's the thing that, because a lot of times my illustrations, I don't always have them all mapped out and planned out, right? I rarely have an illustration planned out. It's what I feel comes to my mind at the time that I think fits what I'm going to say. Sometimes I think my illustrations work well. Sometimes they're a train wreck, but maybe I should map them out and plan them out a little bit better. But um, I, I think it's probably best. It's probably wise. Just don't mention it, right? Just don't mention a movie because you're going to tick off someone. The larger the church. Now, I will call out the hypocrisy of Christians and how they condemn one thing and accept another. Like, I mean, I've been condemning that my whole life. I was told secular music is bad over and over and over my whole Christian life. While everyone watched secular secular movies and secular TV shows. I'm like, well, then how can secular music be bad? Like, I will call out that hypocrisy. But to promote or ditto a movie, as they say, um, I, I, that's probably a bad idea, 
you probably can't go wrong. Now, when I'm recommending a book with questionable material, I'm recommending the book because I think it has, we need to know about this so that we can be prepared for it, right? So I'm not like recommending a novel. Hey, here's this novel that's got so much trash in it that you all need to see how trashy it is. No, no. I'm recommending typically theological books that I'm like, this is a train wreck, but you need to know it because your friends and loved ones may be reading it thinking it's the greatest thing in the world. So you need to equip yourself. So I I think that there's a difference there when it comes to movies. I mean, every once in a while, I, I, I have I have done it. I don't always follow my advice there, but I can understand the larger the church and so, especially the more sensitive your congregation is to movies, because in every church, you usually have some are like, we don't watch any movies on this and we don't want like they're very like, you know, what you watch at, at, at a movie theater is like the most important thing. It really describes your entire Christian life. And like, you know, it, like if, especially, don't you remember when Harry Potter was like the greatest evil in the history of the world? Now the author of Harry Potter is like, you know, now the hero of the conservative movement. I, it's so amazing. Like once she was like a D, a D, you know, a Satan worshiper. She's promote, she's promoting witchcraft. She, she should be banned and we should get rid of her books and burn her books. The next thing you know, oh, she's the greatest thing in the world because she has spoken out against their transgender movement. It is so weird how Christians <laughs> flip around on what's good and what's bad, but okay. All right. So that's that's number one and number two. All right, I I I am kind of conflicted on those. I do understand the movie one. I do understand the movie one. You just can't win. You just can't win. You just can't. I remember um, we were at a church in Abilene when we first moved back to Abilene, Texas, and we were visiting, and the pastor mentioned a Christian movie. Carmen, uh, the Christian singer Carmen was in it, dealt with boxing, so it had a little bit of uh, quote unquote violence in it. It may have even had a little bit of language. And I think the pastor, someone mentioned the movie and the pastor said something like good about it or like, you know, pretty much was saying it was okay. And I think it was the pastor's wife who got literally up, like outwardly upset and got out and walked out of the Sunday school classroom because she was, and she was mumbling like, there's this movie, this movie is violent. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like you can't even, sometimes you can't even recommend a Christian movie without someone getting upset. So it's best for pastors just to say, I live in a monastery. I do not have a television. I do not have the internet. I watch nothing. All I do is chant and pray because if you say anything about anything you watch, you're going to tick someone off. Now, I feel on the Christian podcast, I can be much more open and honest with what I watch. But from the pulpit, I try my best. I try my best not to. And I can understand the dangers there because a pastor could talk about something he watches. And then some kid hears that the pastor watched it. The parent doesn't want the kid watching it. But now the pastor said he watched it. So then the kid's going to look, well, if the pastor can, I can't. So I understand you just, you, like a lot of times as a pastor, you don't think about, oh, no. That family's got 15 kids and I just, oh, I just caused a war, war in the family. What did I just do? Sometimes you don't think about it. So it's probably best not to mention movies and TV shows. It's probably best. It, I, I do understand, like when I was a younger pastor, I'd be like, come on, man. I mean, but now I kind of, I, I do have a better understanding of how it impacts families, right? Especially when you talk to uh, parents of larger families and they kind of explain like, you know, well, this kid's not wanting to follow our rules. And if you say this, then the kid thinks, well, if the pastor does it, I can do it. And, and so, yeah, that's, 
that's the problem. I, I, I think I understand that better now than I did. Uh, it can be, it's not that really big a deal. I mean, as a pastor, you just don't mention it. All right. So I think we can understand that. Number three, he cannot bring someone into the pulpit, even for an interview, whose life is a contradiction to the way of Jesus Christ. Now, what I would say is who's doing interviews? <laughs> who, does, who does interviews in church? Hey, come, come next Sunday, we're doing an interview. Now, I did see a church do an interview with, um, oh, it's a, a male porn star who's now up on like 5,000 charges for sexual assault. They actually, in church, did an interview with a, he was, you know, a porn, a porn star, not someone who had repented of pornography or became a Christian, but they wanted, I guess, people to understand the porn business. I don't know. It just seemed totally messed up. Uh, what's his name? Oh, man. I only know part of his name because it's the same as my brother's. Um, say, is it Ron? Hang on. Yeah, Ron, uh, Ron Jeremy, Ron Jeremy, uh, because he, he's, he's been found to be in, uh, incompetent to stand trial um, and all of the, uh, for sexually assaulting 21 women and girls. Um, supposedly, he, you know, he's got some mental health issues or mental issues currently and cannot stand trial. So, uh, yeah, so it was an interview with Ron Jeremy, um, literally in a church. It was, it was bizarre literally in church. It was a church service. And then they have this porn star up there who's not saying I've repented and I like, I, I don't even really know what the, it was so weird. The whole thing just kind of felt like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Right. Um, I have also seen where they've interviewed ex porn stars, right? Like that. So it's a church service. It's really weird. Like I, I've never thought in a church service, like we're going to do an interview today. It would be like more, for a podcast, you would think not a church service, like for the church service, you should be preaching God's word. But they had, so they interviewed Ron Jeremy, who was not, you know, not as far as I know, doesn't claim, never claimed to be a Christian, had not repented of anything. And they, to get a better understanding of the adult entertainment industry, it was really weird. I have also seen where they have interviewed women who are ex-porn stars who now have repented or become Christians. And I don't, I've always felt a little conflicted on those. First, again, it's an interview, but I've always been conflicted because I, and, and you can tell me what you think on this one. So I, first, I don't think there should be any interviews going on in, in the pulpit, on the stage, in a church meeting. If it's a special, like it's not church, it's like, we're going to be doing a special meeting on Thursday night and we're going to be interviewing someone like, okay, then maybe, oh, um, there was a church in Dallas who interviewed The Undertaker, if you know anything about professional wrestling. They interviewed The Undertaker, okay? <laughs> and it was like an hour-long church service, The Undertaker talking about the wrestling business and uh, his, his you know, faith, coming to faith in Christ. But it was, once again, another weird church service. I'm like, what, 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 what is the deal with interviews and church services? But... Let, now, follow me on this one. Some of you are not going to like what I'm going to say, and you're going to be like, nobody would do that, but just follow me. All right, so you have a, because typically the interviews happen in, happen in large churches. So you have large churches. You have men 
You have teenage guys. I, I, I cannot speak how this would impact a woman in any way, shape, or form. I'm only going to speak about guys. So then you bring out a woman who's an ex-porn star. Almost inevitably, it will. the interview will go like so, some of this. We're going to bring out so-and-so. She spent five years, 10 years in the adult entertainment industry, and we're going to hear her story today. They come out. Usually, it's a sit-down kind of thing. The pastor's sitting there. There's the woman. She comes out. And then the, and the hotel, well, tell us your story. Well, I, uh, you know, or how did you get into the adult entertainment industry? Well, I, you know, I was in the adult entertainment industry for 10 years and I performed under the name and she'll give the name she performed under, not in every interview, but many cases they do that. Or even, or even if they give their real name, okay, you, you can see where I'm getting ready to go. I've always wondered or felt, could that lead people to looking her up? Like, could someone then go like, oh, I'm going to look her like, I, I know that's wrong and ungodly, but I wonder if that like, is that a, do you think that would be a problem? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe nobody would do that. Maybe no one would do that. No one, maybe no one. Like the same thing with the church you interviewed Ron Jeremy. I mean, I don't know. Would women look him up? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just posing the question. If you're going to start thinking about what pastors should or shouldn't do, do you think that would put forth a, pro, a, 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 a possible danger? Now that, that I, I, I don't, okay. Someone just said, of course that will happen. I see. I, but see, it's not fair to the woman though, right? I, I, again, I can't speak of what would happen if a, if a male uh, ex-porn star. But um, I was just wondering, like, I, I, now just make this very clear. I'm not blaming the woman. It's not her fault. She, she was in the industry. She repented. She became a Christian. Her past should not be held against her. She's, you know, she is to be viewed uh, positionally as a new creature in Christ. The old has gone. All has become new. Practically, she's still a sinner, but okay. Uh, so it's not fair that she can't tell her story, right? That's not fair. But I just have wondered, I wonder what that creates there, right? I wonder... I wonder what's going through because I know how everyone looks sitting there in their Sunday best. Everybody looks godly and holy, but I wonder what's going on there. Like, I wonder if the women are sitting there wondering if their husbands are thinking about looking her up. I wonder, like, I, I, like, I wonder if that just is an awkward situation. I don't know. I've only seen that happen one or two times. I've seen it. I've seen The Undertaker. I've seen Ron Jeremy, and I've seen at least one or two. I think ex-female porn stars, and it, it it's and, and and you know it's always great to hear stories of redemption and forgiveness and coming to Christ, but I, I, there's a reality attached to that. I don't know. I just think the whole interview thing needs to go. I just think the, the whole interview things to go needs to go. So um, so they're saying you cannot bring someone in the pulpit even uh, for an interview. Uh, whose life is a contradiction to the way of Jesus. Now, just to make sure we know, all of our lives are a contradiction to some level, but okay. All right, so, all right. I just, I just, I, you, you can just tell me how you, you feel about that. So number one was you cannot recommend a book with questionable material or condemn a book that he has not read. Uh, you cannot ditto a movie that has possible questionable content. I just think you should just stay away from movies, period. Um, or TV shows, music, probably anything. Number three, you cannot bring someone in the pulpit even for an interview whose life is a contradiction to the way of Jesus Christ. Now, I wonder, now, now when it comes to about bringing people into the pulpit, why is it that some churches bring politicians into the pulpit whose lives clearly seem to be contradicting 
the way of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think any politician should be ever given the pulpit or be ever given the platform uh, in any way, shape, or form, and there should be no endorsement of any political party at all from any church. That's my own personal thing, but, you know, that's a whole different issue. All right, number four. He cannot preach that he disbelieves certain scriptures. A pastor cannot preach that he disbelieves certain scriptures. Let's see what they do here, right? Okay. It says, imagine a NASA engineer addressing the astronauts just before their blast off to inform them that he has no confidence in the integrity of the spaceship, that the onboard computers are untrustworthy, or that there are flaws in the design. He ends with, nevertheless, have a good flight. If the preacher disbelieves the Bible, let him resign and find an honest way to make a living. Note, in the past, when I have said something similar, people were right to argue that they appreciate the transparency of such minister who would admit to having the same struggles as they. Far from agreeing with them, I find their point of view amazing. I wonder if they would be willing to undergo surgery with the physician uh, when the physician doubts his abilities and questions the procedures. All right, we're going to have to talk about this one. All right. You cannot preach that he disbelieves certain scriptures. Now, I, I don't, I, I guess what the author means is someone, he, that someone in the pulpit can't say, can't read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I don't believe God created the heavens and the earth. All right. I do agree that would be a problem. That someone just says, I don't believe that scripture at all. I just completely reject it. Jesus is the eternal son of God. I just reject it, right? I think there's problems there, but you got to be very careful here because I do believe, and I know many do not like this. I not only believe a pastor should, but they should do it every time this happens is that they should be more than willing to acknowledge their struggles with a passage of scripture. I've said a million times, I believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. I've also stated all of my problems begin with that verse because at that point, nothing else makes, I get so confused about everything that flows from it and I will share my struggles and my difficulties. Wait a minute. So this God who created everything is all powerful and all knowing yet creates a world knowing every, and and I can just go through the entire process of, wait, wait, so God created a world where all of these things are going to happen and children are going to be molested and people are going to be murdered and people are going to starve to death. Wait a minute, I don't understand. And he's going to create the one who brings sin into the world and not stop the one who brings sin into the world, which is Satan, which he could have destroyed. Like, it just leads to a million questions. Now, that's not me saying I don't believe it. That is me saying I believe it, but I don't understand, and I'm perplexed, confused, and bothered greatly by it. I do believe pastors should be better at doing that. I, I will say, oh, look, I know what this scripture says, but I struggle with it. Like, I, man, it bothers me greatly. That, to me, should be allowed. So when, when, and it sounds like the people who have spoken to him, that's kind of what they're saying is, Hey, I appreciate the pastor being transparent and sharing his struggles because I struggle with the same thing. 
I think we should all be. I think everyone should be willing to admit that. Look, I know what that scripture says, but man, alive, I have a hard time with it. And I may believe it intellectually. I don't know how much I believe it inside of me. I know what that it's true, but inside of me, I don't always want to uh, act like it's true. So I, I, I under I like I know what you're saying. You cannot preach that you disbelieve it, but you should be encouraged to express your struggles with it. All right, number five, he cannot share doubts. Now this I utterly reject. This I utterly reject this. Um, yes, someone said struggling with the text and saying you don't believe it are different. I'd have a hard time if my pastor said he didn't believe the scripture uh, to be truth. Also, pastors could mention textual issues. So in a sense, this may or may not belong. That seems okay too. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. I do believe there are separate things. So, so make sure everyone understands. I do believe it's a different thing to say, hey, I just don't. Look, I I. I, I won't follow that rule. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not going to follow that rule. When I struggle and doubt difficult things, struggles and have my doubts about doctrines or, or certain parts of theology or certain parts of the Bible, I'm sorry. I'm going to share that and I'm going to be proud to do so because I'm just a, every person standing behind that pulpit is a human being. They're a human being with flaws and failures and sins and struggles and doubts and anger and discouragement and disappointment and depression. They're just like everyone sitting in that pew. And, and, and just putting forth uh, an air of, of confidence and an air of, I've got it all figured out, may give the people in the pew some sense of security, but it's just all a facade. I like when I struggle with a passage, I'm like, guys, look, I just don't know. This passage bothers me so much. The story of Abram and Hagar, that story messes me up. The story of Lot and his daughters messes me up. Uh, the story of Job, that what in the world is going on there? I have doubts. I have struggles. I, I, I get confused. I get bothered. So I, I come on, like yeah, I, I am not, I, I do not acknowledge that the pastor is just supposed to struggle with his doubt in private. Why not you, I, people in the pew are doubting, people behind the pulpit are doubting. Why don't we open and more honest with ourselves instead of pretending and playing dress up? It's not performance art. It's supposed to be church. Church should not be a performance art. It's not for us put playing a character. I'm supposed to step behind the pulpit as real as everyone else and going, look, I don't know. You've been reading Jeremiah this week? Uh, did you get to uh, did you get to Jeremiah chapter, is it 4, verse 10? Uh, did you read uh, Jeremiah 4, 10, where Jeremiah says, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, You shall have peace, whereas the sword reacheth unto the soul. Wait, is Jeremiah accusing God of deceiving the people? So is Jeremiah wrong? Or did God actually deceive the people? Well, if he didn't deceive the people, he definitely let them become deceived. Wait, oh, I've got questions. I got doubts. I'm confused. Right? I, I'm, I, 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 don't, I don't not like that you can't share your doubts. I disagree on that one. All right? Number six. He cannot tell the congregation that he struggles with porn or lust. Some things are better dealt with privately or at least between himself, his spouse, and a faithful counselor, but never in public. 
The pastor who tells his people that he has a lust problem is creating more problems for himself than he can imagine. Every woman in the church will think he's undressing her when he shakes her hand. When that happens, his ministry has come to an abrupt halt. Now, I agree that a pastor probably cannot be too precise on what he's struggling with. I do agree on that. But I do believe a pastor should, in every way possible, maybe as vague as possible, to express, hey, I struggle with sin just like everyone else. I'm a sinner externally and internally. I would not want anyone to know what's going on in my mind or in my desires, because that would be wrong. I I think you can express it without getting too specific. You don't have to be like, hey, guys... You know, I'm a little tired this morning because I was up till 4 a.m. watching pornography and man, I'm struggling. Like, okay, I understand you wouldn't do it in such a flippant way. So I understand that there's a a level, right? There's a level. Now, a lot of times what I hear pastors do is I used to struggle with porn, but now I've gained the victory and now I no longer. I used to struggle with lust and I no longer. I, I hear pastors say those kinds of things, but now you're putting forth the idea that you've got it all figured out. So all we got to do is follow his plan and then nobody else will ever struggle with porn or lust. But I don't perceive, I don't think any pastor who says I used to and never does is being 1000% honest with the reality of being a human being. So I understand you don't want to get too graphic. You don't want to get too specific, but I think the church has too much of a history of everyone pretending to be, I thank thee, God, that we're not like all these other people. Instead of going, God, the reality is we're just like all of these other people. Doesn't mean you have to articulate every detail, but I do believe it's important for the pastor to let the people know, hey, I'm just like you. I struggle with sin. Too many times pastors have to put forth an image that everything is perfect in their life. Everything is wonderful in their life. And then the family has to live up to that image. And especially if you have kids, the pastor's kids have to live up to this image that everything is perfect when the kids know everything's not perfect. I think it's better to be humble and acknowledge our sinfulness without having to detail every sin. You don't have to detail the specifics, but you can still get across the message that we're a sinner. I understand that you can't, you know, you know, but, and it is also weird though. And I understand how that can be a problem, but I wonder if a pastor like acknowledges, man, I've got an angry problem. I've got an anger problem, man. You guys haven't seen it, but I can blow up with that. Does that create, oh, well now nobody will want to talk to them because they're afraid he'll get angry. Like, does that destroy your ministry too? Like what sins can you be specific about and which sins can you not be specific about? Because I think sometimes pastors can be very open and honest with their sin and everyone's like, amen. Thank you for sharing. And there's others who are like, no, we don't want to know that. So I, I do understand that there's differences and distinctions. But I just think we need it more open and honest that we're all sinners without always having to go into all the details, right? I think there's a, there, there's like, I don't know if it's always just so black and white. I think sometimes there's some, some different levels here, some, some nuance here and how we can do that. Because I never want people to think I, I've got it all figured out. I try to make it very clear that even on the podcast, I'm just a sinner in front of a microphone, right? That's all I am. I'm nothing more, nothing less. No pretense, no pretend. I'm a messed up human being. 
who sins externally and internally in thought, word, and deed by what I do and by what I leave undone. Now, I think that's one of the wonderful things about a congregational confession, right? Where the whole church, in a sense, confesses their sins. You know, Lord, we, you know, we confess that we are sinners, that we have failed you. And I kind of just paraphrased it and thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we left undone. We, are, we, are, we have committed grievous sins against you and only you. I'm kind of borrowing from the Catholic confession, but you'll see this in liturgical churches, right? I think it is good that the whole congregation, in a sense, confesses to God in some general way where you don't have to be specific, but we're all acknowledging the pastor and everyone that we're all sinners, I don't think we should ever forget that and ever perceive that anyone is better than the other person. I think, I think the pastor, sometimes pastors have to tell, if you ever notice when pastors use illustrations, either, this is how it works. If it's a bad illustration of something they did wrong, it's always about the past. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I was young or before I became a believer, I was doing these bad things. And then whenever they tell an illustration about the present, a lot of times it's about how, you know, wonderful they are or how they gained victory over this, or they did this right, or they did this right, or God convicted them about this, right? And they may get a little bit about what they were getting ready to do something wrong, but it always turns out in a more positive. Rarely do pastors tell illustrations where they say, presently, I'm struggling with this specific sin, or I committed this sin five times this week because it's almost like there's an expectation the pastor to have some level of perfection when they don't. And then number seven, a minister cannot rebuke anyone publicly from the pulpit. A minister cannot rebuke anyone publicly from the pulpit. He cannot call names and slander someone, no matter how strongly he feels. Again, he may do it, but he, but not and retain the respect of Christians who know the word and reverence his name. Mean-spirited preachers will always have their defenders, but this does not make it wise or right. Now, I would do a couple of things here. First of all, if you are from the pulpit condemning false teaching, and you're going to name hey, here's this book that's messed up or this pastor preaches this and we're, here's the promoters of this theology. I think, I mean, you're not really rebuking someone publicly. You're dealing with false doctrine. I don't think you should make it personal. I don't think you should necessarily be calling the, you should definitely not be calling the person names, but you can call out the false teacher and call out the false teaching if the teaching and the books and everything are public. If it's public, okay. If it's some private thing, then no. But if it's public false teaching, you can call that out. You're not really rebuking it. You're correcting it and you're condemning the false teaching. Now you got to make sure what you say is true and you do not slander and you're accurate. So I don't know exactly how he means this. Now, um, hang on. Let me see here. I think I don't want to God rebuke openly is the King James. Where is that verse? Um, where is the verse? Is it 1 Timothy 5.20? I believe it's 1 Timothy 5.20. 
I believe, I, I could be wrong here. Don't, don't quote me, don't quote me, don't quote me. Right, let's look at it. Is it 1 Timothy 5.20? Am I, am I wrong? Does, does anybody know where I'm going here? 1 Timothy 5.20? Um, okay, 1, uh, 1 Timothy 5.19. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. It seems like there's a time to have an open rebuke. So I don't know what they mean that you can never open rebuke. A minister cannot rebuke anyone publicly from the pulpit. So yeah, I, I'm not, I don't know about that one. Okay, okay, here we go. It says postscript at the end of the article. When churchleaders.com published this article, several readers were quickly to take an issue with number seven, not calling names from the pulpit. They said, uh, I'm contradicting 1 Timothy 5.20, which reads, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all. My response, the previous verse says Paul is referring to elders in the body, not to the world at large, which is what I had in mind. I wasn't clear on that. My concern is, is irresponsible preachers who attack celebrities, politicians by name, committing slander, a word I did use. There is no place for that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are sent as bearers of the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, not as Old Testament prophets off to Samaria to confront wicked Jezebel and good-for-nothing Ahab. Might there uh, not be exceptions to number seven? Of course, we can probably think of possible uh, exception to every one of these. As the saying goes, every rule has its exceptions, including this one. Okay, so they, okay, I see what he's trying to say. Um, what he is calling for is when you cannot be publicly calling out people from the pulpit, I guess, celebrities, politicians, anyone like that. That's... First, I do believe we shouldn't be calling them little names and, and you know, derogatory names. I, I don't think we should be doing that. But, you know, if, if something is publicly known, it's everywhere. Like, it's not something super private. It's in the news. It's, you know, it's all over Christian radio. It's a Christian podcast. It's been, you know, it's a sermon. Um, I think it's, I think you have every right to go, hey guys, this is happening. This person said this, this person is doing this. And then we condemn the action, the theology, the teaching, and we don't necessarily are attacking the person. I don't think that's necessarily publicly rebuking the person. I mean, I, I constantly will mention, say, when we're dealing with theology that is direct, directly linked back to, say, John MacArthur and, and Lordship Salvation and issues pertaining to that, I'm going to mention MacArthur. I'm going to tell everyone to read his book. I may quote directly from him. If I'm dealing with something, you know, a charismatic leader said, I'm going to name the charismatic and may quote or, you know, cite a source. Now, the key is we have to make sure we're accurate so that we're not slandering. Uh, I don't feel like it's gossip per se. So I don't know if I completely agree with that. I do agree on how we do it. We do, it's, we're not making a personal attack. We're trying to go after the doctrine of the theology or the issue. I don't know. You, you, can, you can tell me what you think. <clears throat> 
Those are the seven things supposedly pastors are to never do from the pulpit. Let's go through them quickly. Number one, pastor is supposedly never to recommend a book with questionable material or condemn a book that he has not read. He's not to ditto a movie. Basically, I I do agree, stay away from movies. I'm not going to go back to everything I said about these. Number uh, three, he cannot bring someone into the pulpit, even for an interview whose life is a contradiction to the way of Christ. Number four, he cannot preach that he disbelieves certain scriptures. Number five, he cannot share doubts. Number six, he cannot tell the congregation that he struggles with porn or lust. Number seven, a minister cannot rebuke anyone publicly from the pulpit. Give me your thoughts about all of it. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to turn on the air conditioning because it is now 700 degrees here in Abilene, Texas. I think is it coming up maybe before the end of this week or next week, we're going to reach temperatures of 109 here in Abilene, Texas. That is what they're predicting. 109. I will probably be dead. So this will probably be the last broadcast you ever hear. So I will have to not worry anymore about what I can or cannot do behind the pulpit because 109 degrees, I will die. This will be the end of me. So I hope you've enjoyed the Theology Central podcast. It was a good run while it lasted. I will be dead. So this will be my last broadcast. Is that is that a little overdramatic? Is that is that it really isn't. It's not even really exaggerate. It's not even really exaggeration. It's it's going to happen. So you know, if you have anything, you know, nice to say about me, you better email me soon because uh, I will be gone quickly. All right. Everyone have a great day. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. We'll be live in theory, if everything works right, 7 p.m. tonight from the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church. And you'll have to listen to see if I commit any of those things I'm not supposed to do from the pulpit, right? You can keep your list and go, oh, you committed number three, and I'm going to email. Oh, you did number four. I'm calling you. I'm, I'm, I'm. So, all right, you, you can see. But that's the plan. Seven o'clock tonight, we should be in Jeremiah. All right, if everything works out correctly. If not, we'll do something else. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. Great day. God bless.